Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. church say amen. Let the church say amen again. Praise 
God for the privilege of worship. And we praise God for this holy ground where we come to experience the presence, the power, and the might of Almighty God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us who you are. Thank you, dear God, for your faithfulness, your favor, and your love. And in the midst of a troubled world, you are still God. So we pray right now, dear God, that your people will hear a word from heaven and that we will know that the pandemic shall not rule our future nor our present, but you are God. And according to your divine word, you will have the last word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for praise. We thank you for every volunteer. We thank you for baptism. We thank you for instruments, musicians, multimedia. We thank you, dear God, for the love we share in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your everlasting word that speaks to our hearts, oh God, that you give us hope, peace, grace, love. We bless your holy name. And Father, I pray for a fresh anointing from on high. I ask, oh God, that you will reveal to me the word for your people. And at the end of this sermon, oh God, I pray that your name will be magnified and that we will lift your name up and we will give you all praise, all honor, and all glory because you are an awesome God. And you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. I thank you, God. Thank you, God. Every miracle, every blessing, I thank you, God. There's nobody like you, oh God. I bless your holy name. And I thank you, God for this moment, and I stand on the promises of your word. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, and the church said, Amen. And the church said, Amen. Our text today in Matthew deals with Jesus being tested in the wilderness. In verse number four, Jesus answered the enemy by saying, it is written, that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verse number seven, Jesus answered the enemy again, and he said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And in verse number 10, Jesus said to the enemy again, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Last week, my sermon title was, Speak to Your Demons. Some of you might have one. There are several after me. So you have to know your demons, and you have to speak to them according to God's word. My sermon title today is How to Resist Temptation and I realized in studying this text that most of us do not realize that we're being tested and tempted all day, every day. And without the word of God, we are powerless in responding to the enemy. 
Bible study is not about Bible study. It's about having a weapon to fight back. So when the, we when the enemy comes after you, you will know exactly where to go and what to do. In the Bible, the word temptation primarily denotes a trial in which man has a free choice of being faithful or unfaithful to God. Also, the definition in the Bible, the temptation in the biblical sense is a situation in which one experiences a challenge to choose between fidelity and infidelity to one's obligations to God. It's the enemy's job to take us out of the presence of God and the God's word will keep us in God's presence. It's not complicated if we would only follow the instructions. In the Old Testament, the concept of temptation is evident in the first pages of Genesis. You would ask yourself, God had put them, Jordan, in the Garden of Eden with everything they needed. They were surrounded by beautiful flowers and trees. They didn't have to cook. They didn't have to wash dishes. They didn't have to mow the lawn. They didn't have to water the flowers. They didn't have to cook and do the dishes in the dishwasher. They didn't have to wash the car or anything. Everything was perfect. But the word of God says that the enemy intervened on a conversation with Adam and Eve, and I don't have to tell you what happened after that. We have to be so connected to God that we know when the enemy is speaking to us because everything that sounds good is not good. And everything that looks good is not good for you. You ought to say amen. I won't call anybody out, but I know there are some in here who have had experiences when you thought you had the best deal in town until you really allowed yourself to unwrap it and see what it really looked like. In the New Testament, according to New Testament concepts, it is principally God alone who submits men to the supreme test, calling them to have faith in the saving power of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the church is a society of those who respond, acceding to the test of faith. And the Christian life, there is a struggle that never goes away. When I became a pastor, I've been a minister now for over 31 years, I thought the church was at fault when people would drop in and drop out. But I realized that the revolving door does not necessarily reflect the church, but it does reflect those who are tempted to go back where they came from because it's harder to make a change. It's easier to go back than make the change that the Lord wants you to make. There have been people that I have called and I follow up on to ask them how you're doing. They said you, the expectations are just too high. So I'm saying you would rather remain a prostitute, you would rather remain an addict, you would rather remain living in sin than step it up and be more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes people answer me and they say, yes, pastor, it just feels easier. But I have learned that in life there are defining moments. And a defining moment is a point in your life when you're urged to make a pivotal decision or when you experience something that fundamentally changes you. Not only do these moments define us, but they have a transformative effect on our perceptions and on our behaviors. On this day, we experienced a defining moment in Journey's life. Journey decided to give her heart to God. She's only seven. I know people 70 who have not 
given their hearts to God. 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, people who also die at 95 and they've never given their hearts to God. So Journey, I commend you for listening to the voice of God. I read your statement. I read your statement and I was just moved by you saying that my name is Journey. I'm seven years old in the second grade. I attend Parkside Elementary School. That other words, I know who I am. I know where I go to school. I want to get baptized because I want to give God my heart. I want Christ to be my best friend because I want to give my heart to him. This is a defining moment. But Journey, let me also say to you that the enemy is mad. So get ready for the battle, but God will sustain you and God will hold you up. She says, I have an interest in sharing Christ with my friends and the enemy has an interest in shutting you down. But when the enemy tries to shut you down, God will lift you up with his word, hallelujah. And then she said, I'm so excited to learn more about God and journey as you spread the enthusiasm of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that God will anoint you with a fresh anointing every day so that you can speak with confidence that God lives in my heart and God also wants to live in your heart. Hallelujah. We praise God for journey and her defining moment on this day. I thank Deacon Diana and the other teachers who have worked with journey who have given her instruction, all of our teachers. Let's praise God for every teacher. I had a, a, a teacher tell me once, I only had one student, I'm discouraged. I said, well, why are you discouraged? That might be the next John the Baptist, might be Moses, might be Esther, might be Journey, might be Paul, you never know. So don't let numbers sway you at all. But when you're committed to the will of God, you do the work of God in excellence at all times because our God is worthy of our best. Paul had a defining moment on the Damascus Road when suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Moses had a defining moment in the burning bush. Peter had a defining moment, Minister Derek, when he was walking on water. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was walking through the burning furnace untouched, had a defining moment because they realized that everything God had said to them was true. Can I get a witness? Everything that God says is true. For Paul on the Damascus Road, and that was Daniel and the deliverance from the lion's den. If you want to be encouraged, you ought to read God's word and see the deliverance of God's people over and over again, and you would be encouraged. There is nothing, I say nothing, nothing that God cannot deliver you from. There is absolutely nothing that the world gives you or entices you with that God cannot deliver you from. And that's why we have to bear witness that I'm not what I used to be. I don't do what I used to do. I don't think the way I used to think because if you give God your mind and your brain, God will reorchestrate your thoughts and God will bring good out of any bad situation. There is one chapter in the Bible that just strikes me as phenomenal. In Genesis chapter 22, Brother Charles, God is having a uh, conversation with Abraham. And all of us Bible students know that Abraham and Sarah were old, right? They were elderly. They were kind of like 
me and Deacon Jay, elderly. And can you imagine if I showed up at church one Sunday and I said, I'm expecting. And many of you would look at me and swear that I've been drinking or doing something illegal. But when you look at this text and you realize that God took two old human beings and God planted a seed in Sarah, finally they're going to have a child. You know what I'm talking about. And then God tested Abraham. And he called him out and he said, Abraham, you ought to read Genesis chapter 22. And if you're old, it gives you words of encouragement because you, God does not look at us in a physical sense. God looks at us in a spiritual sense. Journey is spiritually more mature than some of us who are old because she had the common sense to listen to the voice of God. The word of God says that Abraham, God called Abraham and he said to him, here I am. And then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Listen up, church. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, the word says, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. As I read this, I realized that most of my parishioners wouldn't get this blessing because they never would have left home. Abraham left home early the next morning and he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. All right, Abraham is old. Abraham is looking at the son that God has promised him. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. He said, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on their way. I want you to follow Abraham now as Abraham follows God. And the word said, Minister Brett, that when they reached the place God had told him about that, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. Can you imagine putting Elliot on top of the wood and this is your only son? This is the heir of everything that you have. This is the son that you have dreamed about. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, I wish you would read the Bible. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. See, God expects us, Kelly, to be obedient. God, James, expects us to follow instructions. God will test us to see if we can be trusted. And the word said, but the angel of the Lord called from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy and do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What things that we have that we withhold from God? 
what things that we hold on to that we refuse to give up to God. Every now and then, God will give you a test to see if you're really willing to give up what you have and the luxuries of life to be like him. And what we discover here is that the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous, my Lord, as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Then Abraham returned to his servants. James says in chapter 1, verse number 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because stood, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. Can I get a, anybody in here being tested? Anybody in here being tested? You're probably being tested and you don't know it yet. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God does not tempt but God will test you. And that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Most of us have more stuff than we can ever use. We have more stuff than we can have the space to store. I've been in houses where there's more stuff than closets. There's more stuff that you can even, oh, I mean, really, a trip to the Goodwill would be a good thing. Because sometimes we get so much stuff that we're enticed by our stuff and we have to maintain our stuff. But what Abraham is showing us is that when God blesses your heart and God gives you wisdom, you can understand that the only stuff you really need is spiritual. And the only stuff you really need is God's word. And then James says, don't be received, my dear brothers and sisters, that every good and perfect gift is from the Lord, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change life-shifting shadows. And so as we look at the baptism of Jesus and the temptation, it parallels the experience of Israel. You remember the children of Israel, right? They moaned and groaned, and every time God blessed them, they moaned and groaned again. We have some moaners and groaners too. I would never tell you who they are, but there are some of us who moan and groan all the time. But every now and then, we ought to just give God a little praise and say, thank you, Lord. We ought to be able to say, Lord, I'm glad it's as good as it is. There is Jesus being baptized and he's being tempted by the enemy. And what we find is a parallel with Jesus and the Israelites. I love the great stories of the Israelites. Go back and read it because every time Reverend Martha, God answered their prayer, they, had, they found something wrong with the blessing. So what God teaches us through the children of Israel is that we need to watch our attitudes. We need to watch our attitudes. We need to watch the way we treat God after we have been blessed. At his baptism, Jesus was faithful in spite of John's protests. And at his temptation, he's faithful. And Jesus talks back to the enemy. Temptation has not lost its power, but is still an active force today. 
when we're scheduled to pray, don't you think the enemy is going to give you eight different things to do? Don't you think when it's time to pray or call and check up on the church folk that the enemy is going to have somebody call you? Don't you think when it's time to spend time with God that Facebook is going to be alive and well and people are going to tell you what's going on in another state or where they're traveling or who they're in love with, who they broke up with? I found out you can go to Facebook and find out almost anything. But I also find out that sometimes people know more about Facebook than they do about God. And what we need to do is time is time, and that what we need to do is make God a priority. And what we need to do is understand that God has no need to compete with the enemy because in the end, God will have the ultimate say-so about our lives and where we go. I read my job description again the other day just to make sure I'm doing my job. And my job description is to introduce people to Jesus and help them get to glory. That's my job description introduce people to Jesus and help them get to glory. I said, Lord, but what if they don't want to go? Introduce them anyway. What if they don't want to take the trip? Introduce them anyway. What if they have a bad attitude? Introduce them anyway. What if they don't show up? Introduce them anyway. Because temptation has not lost its power, but it's still an active force today. And those who are working for Christ and the kingdom of God can expect to be special targets for Satan's enticements. If you preach, don't expect a compliment if you're doing it for the Lord. If you sing praise team, don't expect the people to clap their hands and raise holy hands if you're doing it for the Lord. If you serve in the Lord's house, don't expect anybody to say thank you if you're doing it for the Lord. What I'm trying to get you to see is that Satan will always give you a reason to be negative. And anybody can be negative. It doesn't cost anything to be negative. But it costs a little bit of prayer and supplication to be positive. Anybody can find out everything that's wrong. Anybody can find out that and tell you that the temperature's too cold or it's too hot. But it takes a child of God to find the good in all situations. And it takes a child of God to speak the word of God to a dying world. Do you know your assignment? Do you know what you should be doing? Because that's what makes Jesus such a powerful image, is that no matter what he faced, he never forgot his assignment. The first temptation, but Jesus answered, it is written. If you're hungry, Jesus had been out in the wilderness, but needed for 40 days and 40 nights. Don't you think he would be hungry? Some of us fast three hours and we're starving to death. But Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. When I say fast in the life of the church, people get mad. They go, what do you mean? I can only have salad. What do you mean? You want me to give up ice cream? What do you mean? You want me to give up dessert? What do you mean? You don't want me to have any meat? What do you mean? I can't have Coca-Cola. What do you mean? I can't go to DNS. What do you mean? I can't have fried fish. What do you mean? I mean you ought to spend some time with God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. So if you're living by bread alone, don't expect great gratification because bread will only fatten us up, but give us high cholesterol, high carbohydrates, give us diabetes. But if you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you will enjoy the pleasures of the Lord. 
Then the enemy said, and another thing you need to know is the enemy knows more scripture than we do at times. And some of us do not realize that the enemy is speaking to us because we don't have the gift of discernment and we have not spent enough time with God to distinguish between the enemy and God. But what happens here is that Jesus realized that the enemy was speaking the word of God. You ever been around an enemy? You ever go, see a, a, go to a service or you're somewhere and you go, man, that, that woman, that man knows the word of God. But you know they're evil and you know they're backsliders and you know they're not doing the right thing. And so you say to yourself, it's like I see telemarketers and I see people on television and they're telling people about this trip they can take to where if they only send you know, a brown paper bag with $10 in it and you gotta write on it and send it Federal Express and all of this. And I'm saying to myself, why you gotta do all of that? Well, you can call on the name of the Lord all by yourself. So you don't have to be tempted by the enemy. And one thing you need to know is you need to know what tempts you. You need to know what moves you in what direction. You need to be careful that the environment that you're in is not one that has things in it that cause you to look away from God. And you need to have the word grounded in your heart so that when the enemy comes, you know how to speak to your enemy. The second temptation, the devil took him into the holy city and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are a real musician, if you are a real father or mother, if you are who you say you are, then why don't you throw yourself down? But it's written in the Bible, so now the enemy is quoting Psalm 91, which says that God will dispatch his angels to protect you. So the enemy is saying is that if you all are that Jesus, just throw yourself down and watch to see if God's angels will come for you. But Jesus was wise enough to say, for it is written, hallelujah. Jesus said, it is written that the word of God is true, it is written. How many times in your life have you said, no, I'm not going to die because it is written that I shall live because my savior lives. It is written that he will put his angels in charge of you. And a lesson for the church is that the devil and the devil's disciples quote scripture for evil purposes while they appeal to our lower nature. Their strongest appeal to our higher nature. I think one of the most disappointing moments I've had at a minister is that I have, I won't call his name, a relative who I thought loved me very much. And this relative was very, very supportive of me in the ministry. And then when I became a pastor, this relative said to me that, I don't think you've interpreted the scriptures properly. And I don't think that you're doing what the Lord says. But because my relative had bought into a Southern Baptist theology, my relative believed the scriptures that had been adjusted to say women ought to sit down and be quiet and not have a leadership role in the life of the church. So what I'm saying is that every church, everybody who calls themselves the church of Jesus Christ is not the church of Jesus Christ. You gotta examine the evidence. I think one of the high moments of my life this week was to read the newsletter 
And I thank our office manager, Sister Charlene, for the beautiful newsletter. But what caught my attention was the testimony of the people in the newsletter who were bearing witness to how they were being blessed by serving God's people. And I read it over and over again, Brother Rod, because it's rare that we hear people talking about their sacrifice of serving God's people and they're happy about it. And I read it over and over again and realized that only God can do a work like this. You get up, you labor, you serve, you sweat, it's hot. But because you've given your heart to God, that you can serve God and smile at the same time is that you're more concerned with those who are hungry than those who are not. You are more concerned with those who have nothing at all. So what I want to say to you today is, are we ask you, are we listening to an advisor, a tempter, a builder, or a destroyer? Does the person have a hidden agenda or an ax to grind? Is the person around you an encourager or a discourager, a lover or a hater? I'm told all the time, I work too much and I do. I do too much and I do. i never forget a few years ago, that was a member of my church, I won't call any names, who said to me that you wasted your time over there. Those people don't love God, they don't love you. You wanna know what they said about you? I said, no. The person said, well, why don't you wanna know what they said about you? I said, because I work for the Lord. And I made God a promise. And I work for the Lord and I report to the Lord and my heart belongs to the Lord. So my work is not linked to what you think of me. My work is linked to what I said to the Lord that I would do. And we have to stop picking and choosing what we will do based on who likes us or who does not like us who does not approve of us, or who does approve of us. If you made God a commitment, then you need to live up to your commitment. And if you said to God, I'm gonna feed the hungry, feed the hungry. And if you're going to be a light in a dark world, be the light, but truly do not become a part of the darkness. The third temptation is the devil took him. And listen, church, the devil took him. You also need to remember that the devil can take you places. The devil took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I would give all of these to you if you will fall down and worship me. But look at the contradiction here. You're talking to Jesus, the son of God, the creator of heaven and earth. How are you gonna give me what I already have? How are you gonna give me something that does not belong to you? How are you gonna give me? And so what happens to us is the enemy teases us that if you just do this, I'll give you that. And you do this and I'll do that. And before we know it, we are out of the God's sight and there we are. But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. There's some people in your life right now, you need to look at them and say, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, for it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and you should serve him only. I praise God for the witness of Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him only. 
What are you worshiping today? What are you worshiping today? What is it that stops you from looking at God? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, reminding us that God is the only proper object of worship. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told them that no one can serve two masters. No one, Matthew 6.24, can serve two masters. What did the Bible say? You're either going to love the one or you're going to hate the other. So we need to be clear on who we love and who is our master. One test, if you want to test yourself and ask, how do you spend your time? You don't need to tell me, but you need to ask yourself. What are we putting in first place in our lives? Another is, do we support the ministry of Jesus Christ? Or does God bless us so that people can remain hungry? Does God bless us so that people still do not have housing to live in? Does God bless us so that people will have clothing to wear and be able to live a life? Another test is service to others, and are we doing anything to help anybody? Is your life all about you all the time? Is it all about you all the time? I found out that you have to be able to use what you have to God's glory. And I would rather be in a raggedy situation with God than be in a mansion with the enemy. I would rather be in a raggedy situation with God than be in a mansion with the enemy. I recently had a chef in my home, in the kitchen. And the chef said to me, do you have a good knife? I started bring my good knife today, but I didn't want it to be on streaming live and people think that I was a brutal pastor. So I decided not to do that. So he asked me, he said, do you have a good knife? And I said, yes, all of my knives are good. And he looked at me and he tested the blade of the knives and he said, sorry, ma'am, no, they're not. Every knife is not necessarily good. And every knife is not necessarily sharp. I had my knives in the proper stand with the proper sizes, and there they were. And then he asked me a question that only a chef would ask, because chefs do things with knives that nobody else can do. I was just amazed at the way he was chopping the tomatoes and the lettuce and the eggs and the vegetables, and that he was making this food beautiful. And I was saying to myself, how did he do He said, it's all in the blade of the knife, and it's all in how sharp the instrument is that you use for your cooking. And I realized that the blade for us is the Word of God. And if you don't have a sharp sense of the Word of God, it's not much that you can do because if you look at a knife, it looks sharp, but it's not necessarily worthy of cooking anything. And he showed me an example of one of them. He said, let me see your best knife. Jordan, I got my best knife boldly and gave it to him. And he said, let me show you what it looks like. Nothing was chopped. I was looking at him and I'm going, what is he trying to say? He was trying to say, it looks good, but it is worthless. And so the word of God in our hearts ought to be like a KitchenAid knife that's been sharpened by the chef of heaven. And what we need to do is realize that what looks good it's not necessarily useful. 
And what he also helped me to see is that the Word of God is like a sharp blade, and it cuts to and fro. And if the Word of God never upsets you, then something's wrong. If you never heard a sermon that makes you mad, then something's wrong. If you come to church and you always feel good and everything is good, then something's wrong. Because every now and then, the Word of God ought to wake you up, and there should be some conviction in your heart to do better in the name of Jesus. And so some of us like feel-good experiences, but I'm here to tell you today that we need a spiritual experience that's filled with Holy Ghost power. So there are three things that I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, what do you know about yourself? So that you will know when you will be tempted. One of the things I know about myself is that I don't like people to raise their voices at me. I grew up in a hostile environment in the South. I grew up where people called each other names. I grew up in a racially tense environment and a lot of negatives and I just don't like that type of environment because it takes me back to a place that I've grown out of. I don't let people call me the N-word and I don't want anybody to play with me and say you just might. No, I'm not. I'm not the N-word. I am who I am because of Jesus Christ. But you need to know what buttons to push to make you crazy. And I know what buttons to push that make me crazy. So when I get in those crazy environments, I know how to exit quickly because I do not want to be tempted to be like the world. And I don't want to be tempted to say words that I think I have already forgotten. So know yourself. And so the enemy knows what buttons to push. And the enemy knows that if you are really, really, really hung up on coconut cake, Yvette Cardi will put one out for you and you'll eat the whole cake before you know it. So sit down with yourself long enough to say, self, you cannot do that. If you know that you overeat, don't go to a buffet, as my sister would say. Don't be going to a buffet where you can eat as much as you want because if you know you're an overeater, why would you tempt yourself? Secondly, you gotta know the enemy. And you gotta know that the enemy wants to destroy you. So if you like to eat, the enemy knows that already. If you like to sing, the enemy knows that. If the enemy, you like to dance and party, the enemy already knows that. I know why I don't have rhythm because the Lord knew that if I had rhythm, I would be on the road somewhere. But because I don't and my shoulders don't move like Connie and I don't have that type of rhythm, I just have to stay here where I am and give all praise, honor, and glory to God. You got to know yourself. What if I had a voice like the praise team? Do you think I would be in Cary, North Carolina? No. I would be somewhere on the road trying to make money. But the Lord knew that I would be tempted by that. So the Lord threw me out of the choir, even after they let me sing for a month. Thirdly, you got to know God. Know yourself, know the enemy, and know God. Because it's God who delivers. In the movie Harriet, that was a scene that caught my attention, which illustrates this point. It was a scene when she was on the bridge. Do you remember this? 
She was on the bridge and she had a defining moment. And she had to decide and the, the racist people who were gonna kill her were in front of her and the river was over the bank. So she had to decide, am I going to allow them to take me back to slavery? Or am I gonna jump for freedom? And Harriet Tugman jumped for freedom. And she jumped for freedom because she knew herself and she said, I won't live in slavery. I won't make it, they're gonna kill me. Secondly, she knew the enemy was after her and the enemy had already destroyed members of her family. But above all, she knew God. And above all, God was talking with her. She didn't read well, but she heard the voice of God. She didn't know how to write well, but she knew enough to carry a gun. And God gave her the message of how she was supposed to travel because God used her as an instrument of freedom. So what I'm saying is that you don't need a D-man or a PhD and you don't need a master of divinity. All you really need is a relationship with God. And the word of God says, do not fear them for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. You need to know the 31 scriptures in the Bible that deal with spiritual warfare. You need to print them out and as my grandmama would say, put them in your pocketbook so you can read them when you get in trouble. Because the scripture says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And, the, and uh, Deuteronomy 28, 7 says, The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you, and they shall come out against you one way and flee in seven different ways. How do you resist temptation? Know yourself, know your enemy, and know God. Let us pray. Holy Heavenly Father, we love you. We adore you and we magnify your name. We thank you, God, for teaching us, loving us, holding us. And right now, dear God, someone under the sound of my voice is contemplating giving their heart to you. And the enemy is saying, no, you have time. You're too young, you're too popular, you're too pretty, you're too handsome. But Lord, in this moment, we speak wisdom into the hearts of your people. And I ask, oh God, that you will bless your people with the sound of your voice and help them to realize those who are not saved that all they must do is confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts, and they shall be saved. We bless your holy name for salvation. We bless your holy name for Jesus. We bless you for teaching us how to live through temptation. And we bless your holy name for the promise of a place in your kingdom where we shall live forever and ever and ever. And all of God's people said, Praise the Lord.
thank you for listening. It is our prayer that this message will enlighten and empower you to do the will of God. If you have a prayer request or praise report or would like additional information on Pleasant Grove Church or other recorded messages, come visit us in person or write to us at Pleasant Grove Church, Post Office Box 3603, Cary, North Carolina, 27519. Or call us at 919-363-5198. Or visit us on the web at www.pgc-carry.org. Thank you again.